Hello, you're so very welcome back to our eighth installment of Limelight, one of DCFM's very own flagship radio shows. We weren't on air last week because we were blessed with a wonderful reading week, so that means we had plenty of time to catch up with some shows, books and podcasts that we have been meaning to get around to. So that kind of brings us to our first segment, which is an overview of what we read, watched and listened to it in the week. So last week we discussed the true crime Netflix series, The Night Soccer, The Oasis documentary Supersonic and The Witch Part 1. So to move that on, Claire, what did you watch or listen to over reading week? Okay, so this week I finished the first season of 2018's Succession, starring Brian Cox and Jeremy Strong. So the series follows the incredibly wealthy Roy family who control a major media conglomerate. It's mostly based in New York, and the drama begins in the first episode on their father's 80th birthday, where the children await the news on whether or not he will retire and what will happen to the company. So Logan, his son, believes that the company will be given to him, but his father has different plans. And basically the whole season follows the power struggle within the family and how money has just completely corrupted them. It is very hard to find someone that you actually want to root for in the show because they're all kind of horrible in their own ways. So even though the family is fictional, you can kind of see the characters could be based on real life figures to make up the 1% and the show reflects that sort of otherworldly greed that they possess. So the last episode was done really well and was a perfect end to the season. It was incredibly intense and was borderline uncomfortable to watch. And yes, I would definitely recommend it to anyone looking for a good high stakes kind of drama. I also got around to watching the Netflix documentary Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. You heard of it, Trudy? Yeah, I have actually, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people have been talking about it. The main story is based around the disappearance of tourist Elisa Lam in the infamous Cecil Hotel. I actually watched all four 50-minute episodes in one night because I really wanted to know the conclusion <laughs> of the case. Uh, the case itself was horrible and just like really sad. It involved Lam, who was traveling around America in 2013 and went missing in the hotel. And a video released by the police of her last moments went viral and kind of sparked international attention of the situation. I think that's why the case is so famous, because the last few minutes were her in the elevator and it was just so strange and people it just piqued people's interest. And the show was actually interesting in the way it didn't just focus on the case, it also focused on the history of Los Angeles and how the area became the way it is today and the other mysteries involving the Cecil Hotel and from the first shot of the hotel I thought that it looked familiar and the reason why is because Hotel Cortez from American Horror Story Hotel is actually based on the Cecil Hotel. The show could have definitely been compressed into two episodes. I feel like that's kind of with a lot of Netflix documentaries these days. Like they could just be shorter. So like I'd say they spent a lot of time talking to like self-proclaimed internet salutes and YouTubers, which I can kind of see why they were featured in it, but they were included far too much in place of like an expert or a hotel worker, which would have given an actual insight into the case because it was not like, you know, do you remember the Netflix documentary Don't F with Cats? Yes. Where like the people who are in the show actually contributed to like finding out what happened with the case. Yeah, they're all either like direct experiences or they'll stay like we're very yeah. closely associated with the case in terms of like studying it. Yeah, but that wasn't the situation with this at all. Like they didn't actually help at all. If anything, they only just like targeted people who didn't need to be targeted, but they didn't help with figuring out what happened with the case. They just kind of made conspiracy theories about it. Whereas with the Don't F with Cats documentary, they like alerted the police constantly about what was going on and nobody else is really interested except for them. So I thought that was kind of like disappointing and it just could have been done better. So I probably would still watch it again because it's a very interesting case, but it kind of lets itself down by sensationalizing the story and just dragging it out like way too much. Like it did not need to be, what, like four hours long. It it just didn't. Yeah, I get what you mean, especially because when you're dealing with such like a, a fragile subject, like it's, it's quite like, and especially when you get YouTubers or like people that don't, 
directly contribute in terms of like studying the case you know bringing it to a legal kind of framework or like yeah. resolving it like it just it just becomes a mouthpiece for them to say their opinions in relation to it and not actually be anything valuable like it would tell you something and then a few minutes later would be like oh but that turned out not to be true and it was like why did you not why did you even include that in the first place just to make it more like interesting and more sensationalized Trudy what did you watch or read or listen to this week um, so last week I watched a film that has been on my radar for a while. It's called Baby Deep. It's a 2019 oh. Australian. Yeah, have you heard of it? Uh, yeah, I saw the trailer for that. That looks amazing. Yeah, it's a 2019 Australian coming of age comedy drama directed by Shannon Murphy and written by Rita Colnijas. So it stars um, Eliza Scanlon as Mila Finley, a 16-year-old free-spirited schoolgirl who is diagnosed with cancer over the course of the film. And in the first sequence, she, she meets 23-year-old Moses, played by Toby Wallace, who is kind of like this recluse runaway drug dealer, and they soon develop a relationship. And although Mila is battling cancer, her diagnosis, hospital visits, and chemotherapy or treatment, it isn't shown on camera, so it doesn't paint her as a suffering, sick teenager. And similarly with Moses, a lot of the stereotypes that are associated with the drugs or the drug dealing, they're not projected to the audience. So in a sense, like it re- rewrites a lot of the stereotypical representations of these characters. And in the subgenre of the film that depicts teenagers with a terminal illness that fall in love and are forced to live out their lives in an unjust short period of time, like but there's no end to that type of subgenre. Like this one just offers a new convention. So yeah. Mila's parents, it, yeah. So like Mila's parents, they're kind of this like bourgeois couple, and they're completely against her relationship with Moses at the beginning. So like his history and their age difference, it's really too much for them to comprehend. Um, and even like at one point, Mila's mother, a musician, she instructs Moses to never return. And Mila's father, he's a psychi- psychiatrist. He visibly criticizes him and tries to apply some sort of his own occupational practice to write Moses as kind of this dysfunctional character. But like as Moses and Mila's relationship flourishes, Mila's parents soon come to terms with the happiness it brings their daughter and don't want to bid to give their daughter as much liberties as possible in her remaining time on earth. They allow Moses into the family and he moves in with them. But this, of course, just does come with its consequences. And like that's a big drawback of the film. You really kind of see how his character kind of causes a lot, like takes away from the semblance of the family in a way. But mm. it's no doubt like a brilliant film. Like I overall enjoyed it so much. And it has a small cast, so you really get to know the characters and their significant roles. So it doesn't really situate itself outside of Miller's family and Moses. There are a few exceptions, of course, but... I like how the movie balances like the sad aspects with humor. So like at one point you could be on the verge of tears, but the next you could be laughing. Like it's really, it's a really brilliant film. And it doesn't, as much as as it's in that subgenre of like a teenager with terminal illness, it doesn't like you can fit it, you can fit it into pockets of so many different subgenres just because it's not the conventional storyline that you imagine in that subgenre. It's really good. He was in, do you remember that show on Netflix, Society? It was out like a year ago. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, and then it got cancelled. He was really good in that. I'm so sad that show was cancelled. I, I was just thinking about it there. But yeah, like you say that there's like there's kind of like a lot of movies with that kind of same theme. Like the first one that popped ahead in my head was The Fault in Our Stars. Yes, I yeah. I would have compared something like that. I was even doing that in my head. Like when I was watching the film, I was thinking of like different moments in The Fault in Our Stars. And like as much as The Fault in Our Stars is a brilliant movie in its own right, it does focus a lot on, I think it's Hazel Grace, her treatment and her chemo and like the visible, like physical scars it leaves on her. And while it does show that to an extent with baby teeth, like you obviously see um, 
Mila, her loss of hair and, you know, her tiredness and her fatigue. Um, but it just, it's different. You never forget that Mila suffers, but it's not the fore focus of the film, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, no, I definitely need to watch that. It sounds so good. No, it's brilliant. And even the trailer, it really sells it to you, doesn't it? Yeah, and is it kind of, is it very, like, not, not like, Australian-themed? Like, because, you know, a lot of movies is very, like, American. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, what Australia is like as well. Kind of. You kind of, it's, it, the the main kind of places is Mila's home and her school and kind of, like, around the street. But it's it doesn't have a strong Australian influence. In the final scene, they are at a beach. But other than that, it doesn't really have that strong influence, which you'd imagine it would. Apart from, like, their strong accents, you kind of, the setting isn't that important. Oh, okay. Oh, I definitely yeah. need to watch That's the next one, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I know. <laughs> what do you watch it on? Uh, it's on Netflix. Is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, So we'll move on to our next segment, um, which is usually punctuated by a motion picture's best-kept secret segment. But this week, we decided to change things up a bit and take a look at some of the best-kept secrets of the Golden Globes Awards, seeing as the award ceremony airs this Sunday. So, Claire, you're bringing us this one. So the first show that I'll discuss is The Queen's Gambit. I thought that maybe for the scenes when the actors are playing chess, it was like kind of half them and maybe in the close-up shots for professional chess players because there were a lot of scenes featuring really complicated chess games. But every single chess match in the show was performed by the actors, even in scenes where the board wasn't featured and was just the actors' faces. They were still playing chess properly and like putting the pieces in the right places, even though you couldn't see what they were doing. Like it just adds to the authenticity. And Anna Taylor Joy was only taught the moves a couple of minutes before filming, so it would like stay fresh in her head. And said that the speed chess scenes were one of her favorite parts about filming, and that she was just proud of herself when she nailed those scenes because the the scenes in it looked so like legit, like they were really well done, and it it felt like they were proper like professional chess players, but they're just actors who probably hadn't really ever played chess before, you know. And it was just done so well, but they had a lot of uh, like professional chess players like coaching the actors as well. The next fact is about Schitt's Creek. So this oh, year yeah. is, is Schitt's Creek last chance to win a Golden Globe because obviously the series Stanley came to an end this year. But they have won plenty of Emmys, including one for Outstanding Comedy Series. Uh, Catherine O'Hara also won Outstanding Lead in a Comedy Series for character Moira. And Eugene Levy won that award in the actors category that same day. So most people know that Dan Levy and Eugene Levy are actually father and son. But the character of Twyla is also played by Dan's sister, Sarah Levy. So it's very much really? like a for that whole show. Yeah. So like, yeah, they're, they're three of them are all related. So and then Annie's biggest influence for Alexis were the Kardashians, Lindsay Lohan, the Olsen twins and Paris Hilton. And in order to create the characters iconic hand gestures, what she watched clips of how the Kardashians would hold their handbags and then simply same action without having the handbag in her hand. So she kind of always has her like hands up. Yeah, just, she it, does, it, doesn't she? And she also co-wrote the song A Little Bit Alexis with her husband Menno Verstig, who from Savannah, Colorado. So like that's like one of like the most iconic scenes in Shit's Creek. And she actually like partly wrote the song. So I thought that was cool. That and is then, really interesting, yeah. Yeah. And then so the crown have you heard of it? <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> yeah, Crown is one of the most expensive series ever made, reportedly costing $130 million to produce, which makes sense because of the really good cast and the royal costumes and all the filming locations. So the show already has a Golden Globe for Best Drama Television Series in 2017, 
And Claire Foy also won a Golden Globe that year for Best Performance in a Drama Television Series. And Olivia Coleman won the award, that same award last year in the same category. So Claire Foy also proclaimed that she is not much of a dog person and said that the corgis who were featured in the show were a bit odd and that it was scary how they ate nearly a whole block of cheddar cheese each day of filming. <laughs> so if you wanted to know that, there you go, you know now. That was actually a pining thought of mine, honestly. Thank you for answering that, Claire. What were the corgis like on set? That's what everybody wants to know. <laughs> I think I it's funny know. because in The Crown, like, Claire Foy, obviously she plays Queen Elizabeth, but she's really, like, sentimental towards her corgis. Like, any scene, she's very affectionate towards them. So it's just mm-hmm. funny when you imagine how that would be in real life, and it's the complete opposite. Just eating their cheddar. Having a great time. <laughs> For our lifestyle section roundup this week, I decided to focus on one article in particular for its timeliness and relevance. So this week's issue, which was published today, author Deborah Marshall gives us an overview of the digital detox trend that has resurfaced recently and provides some useful tips to kickstart the social media break. So given the restrictions of the pandemic and the increased time spent at home, many people have been putting that time into online platforms and endless scrolling on social media. And I think this was especially apparent back in our first initial lockdown in March when we hadn't really adapted to the idea of being stuck indoors and confined to that five, 10 kilometer radius. So we weren't really sure what else to adapt from, you know, binging on social media and people's screen times were crazy. I remember like even talking to some of my friends and they had like eight, nine hours cocked up in their screen time, Claire. How are you? Yeah, no, definitely. It's got so bad, like six hours is average and it's terrible. It's so embarrassing. (laughs) I know it's kind of like an attack on your senses you're like do I really spend that long on my phone yeah and I don't understand like how like I feel like I don't have that many hours in a day to be spending six hours just doing I don't know is it like do they include music on it and stuff like I don't know how it all racks up no it's basically any time that your phone is unlocked um that accounts as screen time or like when you're actively engaging with it so if you're like playing music but your phone's unlocked it's counted as an addition to your screen time if you fast forward to our current lockdown, I think a lot of people have become better at managing their time online, using it as a connectivity tool to keep in the loop of friends and family without really getting sucked down that rabbit hole again of endless scrolling. And some people have even taken to deleting certain apps and detoxing, so to speak. Like I have a friend that deleted Instagram and Visco lately because as much as these apps, they can do so much good and they can be so positive, they can really be a source for like negativity and self-comparison and all the rest. And that's really true because... Like it's only when you realize stepping away from it, like that you're not actually missing anything. And like as much as it's good for keeping in contact with friends and seeing how your friends are doing, especially now, it can have so many more Ill, Ill side effects. So in this article, Deborah compiled some really handy tips to help with reducing your screen time and setting yourself up for a digital detox. Have you ever tried a digital detox, Claire? Probably for like three days and then go back on yeah, it. Yeah, they're it always temporary. Yeah, like, but even you were saying, we were kind of talking about this in the show before, like, when you go on Instagram, and you see that people are actually, when you see that people are parties, like, I think that's kind of like the toxic part of social media now, where you're like, oh, I'm at home, and there's actually people, like, doing things, and maybe what this lockdown is kind of, because the first lockdown, nobody was doing anything, and kind of was just like, oh, just on your phone, nobody, everybody's just doing the same, people being tagged in those challenges, and stuff like that, like, that was social media the first lockdown but the second lockdown is a little bit more toxic because you're kind of comparing yourself to other people and and you're kind of feeling a bit like oh I'm here and they're doing that you know yeah yeah I know what you mean like even 
kind of it's very obvious to see like when people are together and when they're not meant to be and then they're putting it online you're kind of like it's one thing to do it but then to like actively yeah. proclaim you're doing it on a platform for people to see you're kind of like that doesn't make sense so the first tip is turning off color mode in your settings and apparently this is a proven method in reducing your screen time because a lot of apps like instagram and tiktok they're really heavily based on colors and visuals so by pushing your phone to grayscale you'll be much less less inclined to keep scrolling and i actually tr- tried this and it was so strange scrolling through instagram and whatever it was but just not seeing color it was like it was so it was so so strange i instantly i actually wanted to click out of the app because i was like this is just not right yeah i can't i've seen grayscale i can't imagine like watching tiktoks on grayscale like that'd be so sad <laughs> I know yeah imagine like seeing like someone doing you know the way the, you have those colorful food videos imagine like you just like that would instantly just make me be like no sorry <laughs> I have to go like some gray potatoes no thanks <laughs> yeah. okay so the second one involves turning off push notifications so notifications were first invented to reduce screen time um as they obviously allowed the user to view texts and other notifications without unlocking their phones but obviously the opposite has proved true so push notifications give you this impression that while you're not actively on your phone these notifications and alerts they're just ambiently buzzing around you wait for you to click into them so you can turn them off in your settings and then Deborah's final tip in this article is about setting daily limits for yourself and you can do this by going into your settings going to screen time app limits and then you can set limits for each of your individual social media apps and there's also a downtime function which you can enable and this helps you schedule time away from your phone and this is like helpful, especially when you're doing your assignments or studying. But I actually added a limit to my Instagram usage just kind of for to see, you know, if yeah. I reached it or if I didn't reach it. And I, I set it for one hour and I could like I, I reached it so quickly that I was actually like, that has hardly been an hour. And even when you reach it, you can ignore it or you can yeah, that's okay. Because I've done that, that before and I just ignored it. I was like, no, nah. I know. <laughs> I don't know. You kind of you kind you feel guilty ignoring it, but you're also like, mm. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think I'll just stay on for another ten minutes, letting two hours go by. Yeah. Do you think you consider doing a digital detox now? Yeah, but it's actually kind of hard to though because like everything to do with college is online, and that's like yeah. like you go on you go on to loop, which is what we use, and then you're on loop, and then all of a sudden you're on TikTok or you're on Instagram, and then that kind of how it goes. <laughs> Or like even I'd I'd love to uh, leave Facebook, but Facebook is really practical for like clubs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know what you but mean. Like, and even yeah, so you could actually like never leave them. Yeah, you need to stay on Facebook so your auntie can wish you happy birthday, basically. <laughs> basically. <laughs> okay, so our last section is just um is basically our story of the week. So to keep in line with our Golden Globes team, Claire and I decided to focus on some of the nominations for this year's seventy eight Golden Globe Awards. And again, this airs on Sunday um, on NBC, but I think it airs, that's around 1am our time, but you can catch it on RT2 the next day. They usually show highlights around 9pm. So I think when the nomination list was announced at the start of February, a few nominations are surprising, to say the least. So we'll go through some of them and some of the categories and give our take on who we think could come out the favourable end. So our first category is Best Television Series, Musical or Comedy. And in the nomination list, we have the Flight Attendant, The Great, Schitt's Creek, Emily in Paris, and Ted Lasso. So Claire, what do you think would be the favourable one there? I think people are quite annoyed that Emily in Paris got nominated. Yeah, I think yeah. as well, when that nomination came out, like the producers actually came out and said like that was that was meant to be a very light-hearted, not taken seriously 
series like completely and it was just completely blown out of proportion yeah I feel like a lot of people think like another show deserved to be in its place and I can I can understand why I, I try to watch Emily in Paris and I just thought like I am not going to get through this whole season I hope uh, Shits Creek wins that's what I was going to say I think Shits Creek are me I don't know I watched a bit of the flight attendant like a good while ago and I didn't really take to it so I think Shits Creek could be the favorite one there yeah, because like Shit's Creek is so feel good, like isn't nobody, it? Yeah, yeah. You can't like watch it and feel bad about yourself afterwards. Like it's just <laughs> one of those like really wholesome shows. That I don't understand how anyone could not like. It's kind of like Modern Family. You can't watch it and like not like it. It just instantly makes you feel good. Okay, now Trudy, that's a controversial statement there. Well, I mean, like it's not going to be. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, you don't feel like personally attacked whenever you watch it. I get what you mean. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first season of Modern Family was really good. Do you not think and anything else? No, I, d- I wouldn't watch it from then on. I just, got, I just thought it kind of got bad after the first season. Because I used to be really? like, yeah, I used to be, I used to love it. And then I just thought, I was like, oh, it's got bad. But maybe oh, I need no. to give it another chance. Claire, honestly, I think you need to reconsider that. Like Modern, I don't know, but I could just watch it like every single day for the rest of my life and I can never get sick of it. Okay, we have two very different opinions on Modern Family. Okay, I haven't seen Modern Family in so long. I just don't, I would never put it on. So, I think you need to put that on your to-do list, but we move yeah, on to yeah. the best television limited series or motion picture made for television. So in the run-up, we have Normal People, The Queen's Gamut, Small Acts, The Undoing, or Unorthodox. That's a really tough one. Yeah, I've seen, I actually haven't seen Normal People yet. What? What? I know, I keep putting it off, but Claire. I have seen, I've seen The Queen's Gambit, I've seen The Undoing, and I've seen Unorthodox. Um, I think, for me, I would be between Unorthodox and Normal People, I think, just because but they're very, like, they touch on topics that kind of shows haven't really touched about, touched on really before, like, to an extent. I feel like, just because of, I definitely need to watch Normal People, but I feel like Normal People will win, because... <laughs> Yeah. I everybody has seen it except for me clearly but like everybody <laughs> about it. like it it reached so far but. it's brilliant like even the book I I don't know why I did this but I read the book after I watched it because usually I always have to read a book if there's a series out I have to read the book first but I read the book after it and it was so good because I was able to like put the faces and the setting to the book it was it was so good so if you do watch it like I'd consider I would recommend reading the book as well it's really short like you literally fly through it so we move on to best television series, drama. So we have The Crown, we have Lovecraft Country, The Mandalorian um, on Disney and Ozark and Ratched. I've only seen two of these, actually. I've seen The Crown, Ozark and Ratched. I haven't heard of Ratched, I don't think. Maybe I have. Oh, yes, you have. It's the one with uh, Sarah Paulson in it and it's based on Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest. It's like, it's Ryan Murphy, you know the uh he makes American Horror Story as well. Oh yeah, I have actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've probably seen the trailer for it. Yes. It's really has a really heavy like American Horror Story influence. Yeah, and it's very like yeah. it's set in like the I think, yeah, and it's it's like that whole sort of aesthetic as well that Ryan Murphy always does. I don't think that yeah. will win. I, I, I watched it, I thought it was good, but it's kind of like Ryan Murphy got like a, a million dollar deal with Netflix to make loads of shows and it's kind of gone to a stage where he's kind of run out of days or something and people are starting to kind of be more critical of the stuff that he puts out like he made a show called Hollywood recently and I watched that as well and that wasn't great and it's kind of like to go from American Horror Story and even like the first season of Glee 
to go into like it just it wasn't as good as it should have been but it was still good though but I don't think it's as good as like the crown yeah I think the crown um I think it might it's definitely going to play somewhere whether it's best actress or best television series for drama I think mm. it's going to play somewhere and it might it very well might be the best television series that it does come out with yeah Ozark is really good as well I can't wait for there's another season of that confirmed to come out but I'd say just because everybody loved the crown I'd say probably the crown will win yeah yeah and then our last category is best performance by an actress in a limited series or motion picture made for television so we've Kate Blanchett we have Shira Haz for Unorthodox we've Nicole Kidman for The Undoing Anya Taylor-Joy for The Queen's Gambit and Daisy Edgar-Jones for Normal People. What do you think for this one? I don't know. I feel like Nicole Kidman was really good in The Undoing. Or maybe I'm just distracted yeah. by quotes. Yeah, I know. I think um, like we have three um, females there that are really young. Like Daisy Edgar-Jones is 22 and I don't think Shira has. I don't think she's too far off that age either. So like for them to get that would be monumental because they're so young. Whereas, yeah. like, compared to Nicole Kidman or Kate Blanchett, like, they have been in the limelight for quite some time. So I think out of the three others, Shira has Anya Taylor-Joy and Daisy Edgar-Jones, I think it would be brilliant for them. Yeah, who do you think is going to get it? I'd love to see Shira has, I think. I love her. I just think she's so admirable. Mm, the show was so good as well. And you forgot it was acting the whole time. Like, it yeah, felt so exactly. real. Yeah. Yeah, it was brilliant. So that kind of does it for this week's installment of Limelight. You can listen back to our previous shows on the Spotify and we'll be back here next Wednesday at 5pm and we'll probably be bringing some reviews of the Golden Globes, um, how it panned out and who came out at the favourable end. I can't wait, Claire. Will you watch it? Yeah. Oh no, I'll definitely watch it, yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait either. So we'll see you next week to talk about that one. Looking forward to it. Bye. Bye. Bye.